Hey everyone, Tom Salome here. Before we begin the show, I wanted to follow up on a promise I made in the last episode. We're working on some very cool stuff here at Device Talks, including a new program called Device Talks Tuesday. The intention is to bring the excitement, the insight, the information, the contacts that you can find at our Device Talks events to you at your workplace, wherever that workplace is, whether it's the kitchen table, the dining room table, the home office, the basement, wherever you are stored away getting work done, we want to bring all of that to you. So stay tuned. We'll have more information for you shortly. We'll be launching this in a month or so, a couple of weeks, actually, in the middle of May. So uh, we'll have more information in next week's podcast and a little breadcrumb for you. And uh, if you absolutely can't wait, feel free to shoot me an email. I'll give you the email address at the end of the podcast. All right. You ready for this? Ready. Tom Salemi, Editorial Director of Device Talks. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Device Talks Weekly. Before I begin my conversation with my podcast pal, Chris Newmarker, I just want to let you know what's on tap for today. We're going to hear from Mike Musalem, the CEO of Edwards. I went on to uh, Edwards' quarterly call and pulled some interesting comments about how Edwards is viewing the next few quarters. It's uh, hopeful and interesting, and I'd be happy to share this with you. Plus, I'm going to talk with Mark McEldoff a little later. Mark is the general manager of U.S. operations at Avanya. Avanya is a, well, a newly named CRO, and Mark will get into its history in our conversation. But we'll also talk about the impact that COVID-19 has had on clinical trials. Finally, then, Chris and I are going to uh, hit upon some high points, including some really promising employment news and uh, where we are with the, with the Q1 reports. It's been an interesting time so far. And I uh, have some surprise and a uh, little scary news from uh, one of MedTech's leaders. So now let's get into this conversation with Chris Newmarker, Executive Editor of Life Sciences at Mass Device. Hey, Chris Newmarker. We're here hey. at episode seven of Device Talks Weekly. Can you believe Woo-hoo! it? <laughs> Lucky number seven. Lucky seven. Here we are, yeah. So we're doing something a little differently this week. We're actually on uh, on Zoom looking at each other. So if we sound weird, that's why, because we can actually see each other. So we're not sure if this is going to help us or not, but we're going to give it a try. And eventually, you lucky folks may get to see us as well. Yeah, I might try to shave or trim my beard a little bit you know, before we, we do that then. All right, Chris, it's been a really, uh, really interesting week on Mass Device. I think you guys have had some great coverage in different areas. As we mentioned last week, this is a quarterly earnings period, and we can hit upon that in a moment. But I was struck by the number of uh, employment news that came out. You had Baxter with some positive news, Conformus yeah, with some positive news, and uh, Edwards. We'll have a, a snippet from Edwards' quarterly call. And in that, CEO Mike Musalem came out and said, uh, or at least management did, it might have been their CFO, said that they won't have any layoffs as a result of COVID-19. So... We'll play that for folks in a little bit, but let's backtrack and talk a bit about Baxter. Uh, What is the news on Baxter? Well, they've made the announcement they're going to hire 2,000 permanent and temporary workers, including 800 in the U.S. And this is because uh, Baxter makes uh, infusion pumps, which are sorely needed for people who uh, who have coronavirus or, you know, in, in the hospital. 
and they uh, and they also make dialysis machines, which you know those are actually the demand for those is is going way up because unfortunately a lot of people who have severe cases of coronavirus they uh, they, they need dialysis they uh, they're having kidney failure problems so you know sad that this is why they're doing it um, but at the same time I mean it, it's kind of showing like even as you know, we're getting all this news like all these layoffs uh, you know going on and this uh, economic devastation we're, we're having in the United States and around the world but you know we're having medical device companies that are actually hiring because they're they're making the stuff that we need to save people's lives yeah I mean I think we should go into this with the understanding that unfortunately any demand of business means that someone needs a disease that needs to be treated yeah. but uh, but the jobs are, are good news I think on the startup front I know on the startup front that uh, someone had suggested it was a bloodbath out there that there are a lot of startups that are just having their funding pulled, they're not able to conduct clinical trials, they're not able to move projects forward. So investors are like, you know what, we're gonna uh, take those dollars back for now and uh, we'll, uh, we'll reconnect perhaps once things settle down. So maybe for some folks, this provides uh, an opportunity for them to get back on the workforce. You know, and kind of going along with that, uh, you know, part of the, uh, the stimulus that, that you know, Congress has, has passed to try to revive the, con- the economy includes these uh, you know, SBA, you know, pay pe- paycheck protection mm-hmm, the PPP. loans, yeah. you know, these PPP loans, which are, are really grants, you know, as long as you keep your, you don't lay people off after you take the money, you know, you can, you know, you don't have to pay it back. Uh, and, you know, we're actually getting more stories of uh, medical device companies that are taking advantage of those uh, to, you know, keep their employees or in some cases even bring them back from furlough. Um, that, that was actually the story that we had with uh, Conformus was that mm-hmm. they uh, you know, bringing back their uh, the employees that they had uh, furlough because they're getting a four point seven million dollar PPP loan. So that's great news about Conformis because I think we actually mentioned that in the first or second episode that they were having yeah. the layoffs, and they're one of the ones who they they do customizable customizable orthopedic implants. So of course, with the dialing back of elective surgery, they were hit hard. So it's great that right. uh, they they have a bridge that maybe will get them to the point where we're starting to open the hospitals back up again. Exactly. I mean, like, we, we don't want to see, I mean, you know, it, it was already sad news a week or two ago when we heard that, uh, you know, that uh, Second Sight, which had some really innovative, you know, technology for helping people who had, you know, uh, who had um, you know, vision difficulties that they were winding down because of all this. Um, you know, we don't want to have any more news of uh, medical device companies closing down, uh, you know, or really co- companies closing down in general. That's you know? right. That's right. <laughs> Good to hear that these uh, these loans seem to be helping out, and these these companies are you know, bringing people back, or, uh, or or you know avoiding you know layoffs. Absolutely, absolutely. And let's go back to quarterly earnings. So Edwards released their quarterly earnings this week, or and they had their call this week. They had good numbers. You actually got an article out last night. Um, I think it was a right. fairly, fairly positive report. Yeah, they beat the street. So. Yeah. You know, on the on the first quarter, and uh, it sounds it sounds like they need it because, uh, you know, their uh, you know their CEO was you know saying that uh, that you know they're they're expecting a tough tough second quarter. That's right. In fact, why don't we take a minute to listen to these comments from Edwards' quarterly call? This is CEO Michael Musalam. So uh, it's it's a it's a good question, Bob. And you know this is very tough to do. So we we know that um, it's it's a challenging time to to estimate revenues. Um, we're we're starting to see positive signs already. And so 
the, in the tone and the tenor, we, we really we hear people preparing themselves to start recovery. We know that that's going to take some time. We also know um, that the, the diseases we treat are very serious and that we expect those diseases are not easy to postpone. And we know that many of the patients that might have been treated in Q1, Q2, and so forth uh, might indeed be t treated in Q4. And so it's the combination of those factors that uh, encourage us to say that we were, we're likely, and, and again, there's a broad range of possibilities, but we're likely to be in a more typical volume situation in Q4. There's a feeling, and we've talked about this issue before, sort of the, the, the patients who need the care uh, but aren't going to the hospitals, there's a feeling that they're going to begin to return. So, uh, Right, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like they, uh, I, mean, I mean, like in the case of Edwards, you know, like what the, one of the really big products is, you know, transcatheter aortic valve replacements, the, these TAVRs, um, which... Or it's it's a really uh, it's been a really innovative technology and uh, I mean kind of the spooky thing right now is they're saying there's a lot of people who need a heart valve replacement or you know depending do I really go into the hospital right now um, because you know because of everything going on because I don't want to risk exposure to you know someone with coronavirus. That's very true. In fact, Mike Musalam spoke to that point as well. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's very real. Um, what, one thing for sure, David, is our patients were scared. Uh, they're, they're afraid of COVID, and it's meant that um, they have, uh, in many cases, decided to stay home. So um, there's many factors that influence the recovery, uh, but, it, but if you do think of it as a, a, as a, bowl, as a funnel, um, there's been a bunch of patients that are waiting. So beginning the screening process again and that really needs to begin months in advance of the fourth quarter is going to be key uh, it's going to be a big effort by the whole community but i think the community is going to come to grips with the fact um, that this these this heart valve patients and as patients in particular really need to be treated and that they're in a dangerous situation and we think that they're going to respond to that so Right now, the screening rates have not returned to prior levels, not even close, but we're anticipating that that's going to happen, and that's what will cause Q4 to be what it is. You know, if you need a heart valve replacement, you're, you know, you're, you're a sick person, you know, and you, you need that help. So, I mean, they will get this, you know, eventually. So, and, and yeah, that, that's kind of, uh, you know, is a big thing. They're saying, yeah, Q3, Q4, we're gonna gonna be recovering and uh and you know you heard the same thing when you listened to abbott's earnings call I yeah it was that. a very similar very similar line of uh line of thought so maybe it's just maybe it's it'll be something that we'll hear we'll hear a lot of maybe it's wishful thinking on part of executives but you know obviously everyone issues the caveat provided that things continue to improve with COVID 19 i mean if there's a resurgence or anything unfortunate happens then right obviously everyone is affected included the med tech industry but but there is some hope that uh, that things will begin to return and that patients will begin to uh, come back to hospitals. We, we talked last week, you mentioned the New York Times article about where all the stroke patients, where all the heart patients, the Boston right. Globe. I'm in Boston, had a similar article this morning. And, you know, they're talking about you know, folks who have fewer appendix cases. Like everything is just ratcheting down and, and folks literally are scratching their heads wondering, 
where are all these sick people? In fact, they're saying in this article, it was kind of surprised me. It's like, oh, you can come to the hospital. It's perfectly safe. We've got this all figured out. It's probably one of the safest, most COVID-free environments you can find, which seems right. to encounter what they were telling us two weeks ago was like, just stay away, you know, stay away. So, right. so maybe we're on the, uh, maybe we're on the upswing and maybe we're on a path toward, uh, toward some kind of normal, although it's going to be interesting to see how hospitals operate in the near future. Well, you know, the device industry historically, you know, we've been, you know, at least somewhat recession proof, mm-hmm. you know, just simply because people, there's stuff that people just need and even stuff that people might not quite need. Like even, even like the orthopedic companies where somebody's like, well, I mean, you're, if your knee really hurts, you want a knee implant, you know, maybe you don't need the knee implant, but you really want the knee implant. And, you know, and if you've got the insurance or, you know, something to pay for, you're going to get the knee implant. So, I mean, even then, but I mean, it's really scary when you're hearing that people who might be having, you know, like symptoms of like heart trouble or, you know, or, or am I having a stroke? You know, am I, do I need an appendix? Like, oh my, you know, my appendix seems to really hurt. I might want to have that out, but I don't want to talk to anybody about it. I mean, that's, that's really, uh, that's really scary stuff. And actually the New York Times had a great analysis, um, average death rates of, you know, different cities around the world and how the death rate over the last, you know, month was different. And there's thousands of more deaths than what you'd expect with the, you know, the official counts with coronavirus. And, you know, I got to wonder, you know, is, is part of that because there are people, you know, you might you know, be starting to have symptoms of heart attack. You don't check it out. Mm-hmm. You know, next thing you know, you're, you know, you're dead. In fact, in this last clip from Edwards call, Mike Musalem discusses that very point that uh, Edwards suspects that patients who would have been in line for, for Taver or some other treatments, unfortunately, are no longer with us. Let's listen. Um, it, this is a really tough time for patients. Um, and ultimately, uh, there may be some structural heart patients who delayed the treatment who never get treated. Um, and just because of the deadly nature, uh, some are, are not likely to survive. Uh, you, I know if you just uh, you know, run the numbers here, it gets to be an extraordinary large group of patients, and that, that distresses us greatly. Um, it's, it's just a difficult time. The, the disease is clearly progressive, um, and so we, we know about some patients already anecdotally who have passed away uh, on the waiting list, which is very sad. But uh, no, this is, a, this is a tough time. As the world has turned our attention to COVID, uh, it, it's, not a, it's not a great set of conditions for structural heart patients. So, and, and as we've heard from uh, Mike Musalem, there's also the understanding that some of those patients who would have undergone procedures with Edwards d- devices and implants, unfortunately, were victims to COVID-19 because a lot of those people obviously are the most vulnerable to the disease. So right. it's going to be interesting and, and tragic to sort of see how that impacts projections. I don't think it'll affect market sizes tremendously, and that's obviously not the most important thing. But this is uh, we're going to be this is we're going to be working through this for a long time, trying to understand exactly what the impact of this pandemic has been on medtech companies and medtech patient populations. Totally, and and you know the word I keep on seeing and in, in, in the earnings, earnings reports that are coming out is you know unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like they did. You know, they you know they're they're some of the companies are trying to to grapple with how this is going to affect their revenues and, and profits for the year. But you hear the word unpredictable a lot, and uh, you know I've I've covered 
I've been a business reporter long enough that I, I know that, you know, businesses hate the word unpredictable. You want to have some kind of predictability and uh, that that's, we're definitely uh, not, not in a predictable time period for sure. So, so here's to hoping we, um, times get a little less interesting over the next year or so. Absolutely. And one thing that remains unpredictable is uh, our, our, when we're going to get back to clinical trials. And to find a little bit more about the state of clinical trials, I spoke with Mark McElduff. Mark is the U.S. General Manager at Avanya, a CRO that you probably know but is now sporting a new name. I'll let Mark provide the details behind Avanya and how he views the clinical trial environment. And then Chris and I will be back to talk about some concerning news from Medtronic. Let's listen. Well, Mark McElduff, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, Tom, thank you for having me. So we're going to talk COVID-19, as everyone is these days. But uh, I wanted to first uh, learn a bit about your company. It's sort of uh, taken on a new form, a new shape, and a new name. So tell us a bit about Avanya. Sure. So Avanya uh, is recently rebranded. Um, you might know of us more as Boston Biomedical Associates. Uh, we came together with uh, global medical device CROs uh, with locations in the Netherlands and in Australia, uh, factory CRO in five corners um, back in December of 2018. Uh, over the last year or so, we've been working on some integration and rebranded in March of 2020 as Avanya. About 130 employees worldwide um, and looking to be the uh, kind of largest med device, med tech focused uh, full service CRO in, in really maintaining our main clientele uh, in the medical device space. So let, let's rewind a month or so uh, and talk about uh, when COVID-19 sort of initially, originally or, or officially became COVID-19. What, what was the impact like for Avanya and for the, the, some of the, the tests you were running for, uh, for your clients? We were probably, I guess, two weeks uh, lag out of Europe. So we saw kind of the what was going on in Italy first, I think, is when it really started to hit that uh, trials were going to change from this point forward. And uh, a lot of our studies that were going on in Europe with the Netherlands team, um, those sites were coming to a close probably two weeks ahead of the U.S. sites coming to a close and, and really tracking what uh, the IRB and the FDA is kind of guiding us to do is, uh, you know, assess and document, but there there is some leeway into being creative with the data collection and, and trying to get the data points for active patients that may be actively enrolled or, or in follow-up. Uh, for any active clinical trials, I think. You know, one major impact for our clients that may have been in startup is obviously uh, some delay at the sites. Uh, we, we saw a lot of sites here send home non-essential personnel or, or reroute them within the hospital to kind of fight the pandemic. So uh, some studies that were in startup that that's either been delayed or, or come to uh, a slow pace. And, you know, being a cl- global company that works on device products. We have a number of clients running trials in the U.S., but uh, shipping their devices from Europe or from Asia. Uh, So we've seen an an impact there and just being able to get the devices in or being able to get the sponsor companies into proctor cases. So a little bit of delay and 
rerouting our, our own personnel to either different products that might be coming to us for consultancy advice and uh, trying to get through to the FDA and, and get through to uh, helping patients. So we, we've been working with a number of clients looking for emergency use authorizations through the FDA. That's been been a big change. And looking at the, the trials of, of your clients, uh, explain to me sort of what happens when you've started a trial, you're, you're maybe a third of the way through, and suddenly you're, you, the patients aren't allowed to come to the facility anymore, or the people who are working on it are reassigned to something more critical. What happens to that trial? Yeah, so we tried to triage each project based primarily on patient safety. So, so we do have a number of trials with uh, active implantable devices that may require, you know, a field clinical engineer to kind of reprogram that device. In, in those cases, we're reaching out to the sites to see if the patients can come in for their follow-up. If not, uh, we're trying to accommodate anything with telehealth or home health visits as well. Um, I think, uh, you know, a number of the trials that had uh, either enrollment ongoing or enrollment complete, uh, we're still trying to collect as much of that primary endpoint data as possible, I think. FDA has been very good and proactive with releasing guidances, really document your risk uh, assessment of, of where the trial is, um, document what you're going to do with any protocol deviations for missed visits or visits out of window, and then they'll be open to working, I think, with the sponsor and, and with us in the future to uh, really make sure that the statistical analyses and the uh, documentation of evidence of, of both safety and efficacy, I think, may turn to a pre and post COVID type of uh, subgroup analysis. So I think it's really trying to understand where each project is on a project by project basis, and then documenting your decisions at this point and uh, documenting how you want to move forward and uh, have the evidence to support the, the filing down the road. And let's talk about some of the work you are doing. You, you kind of referenced this earlier on. You are doing in, in COVID nineteen. What has uh, what sort of opportunities and new clients have appeared at your, uh, your virtual doorstep? I guess uh, with perhaps new tests or new tools to to battle COVID nineteen. And and how are you able to assist them and and, and put together? trials or at least some sort of evidence of proof that what they're doing will be effective and, and helpful? Sure. Yeah. So uh, at least in the U.S., the FDA has been, uh, again, very proactive with this emergency use authorization um, and really across several departments and therapeutic areas at the agency. Um, and we've had a number of uh, clients uh, come to us for I guess, consultancy and regulatory submission help and support. This is across uh, some diagnostic tests, uh, some antibody tests, uh, ventilators, blood filters, um, blood products, um, and then PPEs or, or personal protection equipment. Each really has a, a different set of requirements with the FDA in terms of uh, what kind of preclinical or clinical evidence they'll require to grant emergency use authorization. Um, so I, I think it's been a, uh, a collaborative effort from the agency as well as industry to try to get as many of these uh, hopefully life-saving products to the clinics um, as soon as possible. Is any effort go into, I mean, what level of testing 
goes into demonstrating that these products will be effective? I mean, obviously, you're not working with patients who have the disease. What are you? What what is sort of what's a baseline to demonstrate that? Uh, again, I'm sure it varies from product to product, but what's a typical baseline uh, that you need to to meet to to demonstrate that something works? Yeah, so I guess we could take uh, a recent blood filter that uh, received their EUA. Um, so that branch at the FDA required um, benchtop testing. So any preclinical or, or verification of the device um, be completed, either preclinical animal data or clinical inhuman data. This device happened to have uh, outside the U.S. as well as U.S. clinical data. Granted, early feasibility studies and not data that would support a um, marketing application, um, but but data nonetheless that showed uh, safety and effectiveness. And then there is some commitment from the manufacturer to uh, try to collect data at this time and and you know support kind of ongoing research. Um, so while it's uh, minimal data collection and we're not trying to put a burden on sites, um, products that are released through the EUA, we're hoping to either retrospectively or, or minimally prospectively collect data on um, the safety and effectiveness of the products that the FDA is, is pushing through to the clinics. Are you going to be going back, do you think, and running more thorough testing on a lot of these products that have uh, secured EUAs? Yeah, that's the intent and, and kind of what uh, what's being discussed, I guess, is, you know, we'll be hopeful that some of the data um, collected now, even even though it might not be a, uh, a schedule of assessments or a uh, data collection set that's as robust as a clinical trial, uh, we're hopeful to use some of that data towards a marketing application. But yeah, I think like you alluded to, there'll be some expectation um, for further evidence and documentation to, to get their um, product officially on the market for sale. And are you and your, or your clients and or your clients tracking that data now, or is that something that sort of gets picked up uh, after this is all, uh, after things settle down? So we, we're in discussions with uh, the FDA on about 20 EUAs. Um, I think we've had two successfully uh, kind of get through and then the manufacturers are just now getting the products to sites. Um, the idea there is to uh, probably go back retrospectively in a patient's chart to collect the data for those two products. Um, the others that we're hopeful to get there, I think we're it, it's a case by case basis on um, you know what would be minimally impactful to the site staff at the time of using some of the devices. And then uh, ultimately, you know, what will um, give both the sponsor and FDA, I guess, confidence um, several months from now in the in these medical products. So, interesting. And just final question: Do you see any um, new methods or new uh, new ways of, of conducting trials and, cl- and collecting uh, collecting evidence, collecting information, collecting data? that uh, you think you'll be taking forward after this is all over? Will will telehealth be more, play a bigger role? Will there be other, I don't know, electronic remote uses that can be uh, employed to maybe make trials more efficient or get them done more quickly? All of the above is really going to see an increase. And in, I mean, we're already seeing a lot of acceptance um, with 
the IRBs right now, but in the future as well, and some acceptance with the FDA as and, and you know agencies in Europe and Australia that they are going to be accepting of uh, more creative approaches and and you know less invasive or or less burdensome. I, I think uh, patient ultimately is is the hope. So uh, taking the burden off the patient, placing it on. Uh, some some creative ways to collect the data. We're, we're seeing a lot before this even with um, just, you know, monitors that the patients are, are, are wearing, uh, Apple Watches, Fitbits, et cetera, um, and being able to leverage some of that data um, into different submissions um, and, and health, you know, economic and utility outcomes. So, and, and how does that present itself? You mentioned the the Apple Watches and the other devices we're seeing. Is it is it simply that, or, or do you see yourselves and other companies running trials? I don't know, coming up, coming up with new cloud based tools or just other methods of of engaging more parties. Uh, what is this? What does clinical trial management look like in uh, in five years or so? Yeah, I, I wish we knew, but uh, I think it's quite a bit of increase in in the telehealth and the remote. Uh, Remote visits from site staff to patients. There's, you know, was a, a huge push for direct access to EMR and, and patient medical records to collect data um, in a more efficient manner. I think that this probably accelerates that effort as well. Um, and you know, the there's also a a push for you know doing trials virtually and and with AI. So I think. That's more, you know, less patients, uh, more simulated data, different inventive ways to get products to market faster with, with the burden off the patient, but ultimately trying to get products that will help the safety uh, of, um, of patients suffering from these diseases in a quicker and, and more efficient manner. And, you know, maybe that's a, that's a positive that comes out of the pandemic. All right, Mark, well, I appreciate your, uh, your taking the time and, and uh, giving us an overview of a very important part of MedTech. So thanks for, uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you, Tom. And we appreciate the work you guys are doing to uh, keep people informed and, and keep people engaged, even though there's uh, less frequent networking opportunities than in the past. Well, well, we'll find new ways to do it. Thank you for that. We'll find new ways to do it and, and hopefully get back to the old ways uh, sometime soon. Okay, great. All right, well, it was great to get a, a clearer view of the clinical trial picture. Before we wrap up this episode, though, I think one of the larger items, at least that I found interesting, was Medtronic releasing some uh, an advisory on on their financial picture. What uh, what did they say, and uh, any insights on on what it means? Well, you know, the interesting thing about Medtronic is that they don't, uh, you know, their uh, you know their earnings, their their fiscal year doesn't coincide with the with the calendar year um, so you know while a lot of the earnings we're seeing right now are, are for you know quarters ending March 31st you know Medtronic right now is um, you know finishing up their uh, their fourth quarter which ends April 24th so anything we get from Medtronic you know there's kind of like an extra month there of like how is this affecting you know their earnings so they're giving us a nice peek into what's going on and it's you know it is it's grim um you know they're saying like right now they're uh you know they're 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 go seeing a, a weekly revenue hit of like you know they're down 60 percent in the wow. u.s amid the covid19 pandemic so uh, you know i i 
you know, expect things just as grim when we, you know, get those, you know, second quarter results then from, you know, a lot of other companies that, that, that right now are warning us, you know, hey, our second mm-hmm. quarter is going to be brutal. I mean, they're not using the word brutal, but you know, that's basically There's, what it means. They're going to have a resetting expectations quarter. for sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so do you think Medtronic is going to be an outlier in this or you, you, are we seeing more, do you expect to see more of this sort of news? Uh, I I think it's more of an indication of where everybody else is going to, a yeah. lot of other companies are going to be too, you know, when, you know, we find out, we really get to see how their second quarters went. Oh. So, All right. Yeah. Well, if folks want to track that, there's no better place than Mass Device. You and the Mass Device team are all over those earnings. I'm amazed at how quickly you uh, turn these reports around. So, uh, Yeah, we're turning it out. So. <laughs> and uh, that's it for this week. This week's episode of uh, Device Talks Weekly. Chris, where can folks find you on social media? Well, they can, uh, you know, they can find me at, uh, at, at New Marker on Twitter. That's just like a, a new marker. And I'm also on, uh, on LinkedIn. So always, always happy to take, uh, you know, questions, comments, insights from people. I, I love to network. Absolutely. And I am on Twitter. I am at MedTechTom. I'm on LinkedIn, Tom Salemi, of course. And uh, email is tsalemi at wtwhmedia.com. And Chris is at cnewmarker at the same wtwhmedia.com. So folks, thanks for, uh, for joining us on this episode. Chris and I actually still are, are looking at each other. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out on the podcast episode. But uh, do subscribe if you've enjoyed this, uh, this podcast. It'd be great to have this sent directly to you. Share this on social media, the aforementioned social media channels, and uh, connect to Chris and I so we can be part of that conversation. And uh, that's it. That's a wrap. Tune in next week for another episode of Device Talks Weekly. Thanks a lot. Stay safe.